Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There is a very dangerous and very effective destabilization campaign underway against this president, his administration, and his agenda. And what I hope that the president and his senior aides understand is that these forces are not just looking to delegitimize him. We often talk about that. Sure, they want to do that. They want to personally destroy him, destroy his presidency, and they would like to see the man in prison. I hope that the president understands I am not overstating this, having been a victim of this myself. They are out for blood. And the reason they have to destroy him is that Donald Trump is an alien organism that has been injected into the body politic by the American people to reform it. He must not be allowed to succeed. They have swarmed him. They have swarmed everybody around him in order to reject him out of the, the system, just like any alien organism. He must not be allowed to succeed. And I hope that everybody around him now understands that this is a war and that they started a long time ago. But they will not end until they get the president of the United States. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley podcast. Thank you so much for joining me as we begin a brand new week. And as you all know, this is your go-to for hot liberty. A safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley, also by email at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. How do you like those two clips that we have added to the opening? A couple of weeks ago, actually about two weeks ago, I did an entire show for the most part about those two clips, me on Hannity on Fox News, March of 2017, talking about the deep state, the administrative state, the enemies of Donald Trump and America first, and what they had planned to undermine and ultimately destroy him. And as far as I know, I was the very first person, and there you could hear it, to say that, of course, they want to destroy him and his presidency, but the ultimate goal is to put him in prison. So from here on out, those two clips were going to alternate in our introductions every day so you can hear my prescience and my brilliance, of course, but also to keep in the front of your mind exactly what we are up against here. They will not stop. So now we've got a lot coming at us. I want to cover a lot on today's show because there are so many headlines and stories just flowing full tilt uh, toward us. Also later in the show today, when we talk about Uh, President Trump, we talk about the election, but we don't talk a lot about the transition. And we are going to talk to my friend Chris Liddell here in a couple of minutes because he's written a brand new book called Year Zero. We are in year zero. Year zero is January to January before a new president is sworn in. 
We all hope and pray it's going to be President Trump for round two to try to bring our country back because he did it once before he can do it again. But his book is basically for any president coming in because we only give newly elected presidents, what, two months, three months to to form an entire government, which is, if you know anything about the U.S. federal government, it is a massive, sprawling enterprise with a lot of holdovers, a lot of people burrowed in. It's just a leviathan. And Donald Trump found that out, and he was trying to build a government while being undermined by the deep state with the Russia hoax that was being born during that period of time. So by the time he was sworn in on January 20th, 2017, he was already overwhelmed. No fault of his own. I mean, the guy is the most capable person we have ever had as president, at least in recent American history. It was not his fault. It is the nature of the beast. Chris Liddell is going to be here talking about what should be happening right now. And at least on the Trump side, a lot of it actually is being done right now so that when Trump takes that oath at noon on January 20th of next year, uh, he can hit the ground running with personnel and policies, executive orders ready to go. It's a fascinating book, which is why I wanted him here. He's going to join us today. Later in the week, we're going to talk to the one and only Ricky Schroeder, And I cannot, I'm so excited. I can't believe it. I'm like beside myself to talk to Ricky Schroeder. Of course, he won a Golden Globe at the age of nine or 10 for the classic movie, The Champ. And we all know him for his roles on Silver Spoons and Lonesome Dove and so many other shows. So he's going to join us. He has also gotten political, but he's also doing really important work for America's Heroes, Um, important cultural work to try to change the culture in Hollywood, producing great content, which we all need to support, and he's pushing back on the evils of pornography, okay? So he is a great man of faith, as well as this legendary uh, actor who we all know and have great nostalgia for, but he's still out there, and he's doing really important work, so he will be here on Thursday. You're not going to want to miss that. Next week, really big shows. We're working on a bunch of stuff. But first, the Monica memo. What tangled webs we weave when first we practice to deceive. As I mentioned, a lot of stuff coming at us. I want to cover as much of it as possible, including the Ukraine bill, which is an absolute travesty on the American people. And later today, I want to cover Russia in a way that you have not heard before. Okay, a lot of people have forgotten what I am going to tell you today. So sit tight for that. The tangled webs are all interrelated here. I want to get into the special counsel's report on Biden being senile because, of course, he has confirmed what we all see every day with our eyes, including the Jordanian president, King Abdullah, who was at the White House yesterday and literally could not hide his disgust and his confusion at Biden's confusion. Every world leader is rolling their eyes. Every world leader is laughing at Joe Biden and the United States of America. How did the world's greatest superpower descend to this? I think we all know. Joe Biden was installed. He was not elected. I think that's increasingly clear to more and more people. In fact, according to a brand new study, 
looking at the possible effects of fraudulent mail-in ballots in the 2020 election, Trump would, quote, almost certainly have been elected without the expansion of mail-in voting. Remember, they leveraged the pandemic. Let me take a step back, guys. They created the pandemic. They launched the virus on purpose. I'm sick of everybody just dancing around truth. We don't have time to continue to BS. Everybody is like, well, it could have been a lab leak and uh, Fauci still out there. Could have come from nature. No, 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 no. They had this virus. They deliberately launched it. They timed it perfectly so it would race around the world. They would have a reason to shut down the global economy, stop the roaring Trump economy. We're going to get to that in a minute and leverage it for all of these possibilities for fraud, namely expanding early voting, which gives them a running start, namely mass mail-in balloting, which also allows them to have a massive balloting slush fund going on. All of this was done on purpose. And now this new study says Trump almost certainly would have been elected without the expansion of mail-in voting. The study was based on information from a Heartland and Rasmussen survey, which found that about one in five mail-in voters acknowledged engaging in possibly fraudulent activity during the presidential election. The report's authors write, quote, had the 2020 election been conducted like every national election has been over the past two centuries, wherein the vast majority of voters cast ballots in person rather than by mail, Donald Trump would have almost certainly been reelected. Okay, so when you have that truth, and it's pretty clear to everybody, I mean, you just take one look at Joe Biden and you realize he did not get 81 million votes. All right, let's just lay it on the line. The fraud that they used to install this corrupt, senile hack has now had catastrophic consequences. Again, for the left, all by design, but for the rest of us, we're all left holding the bag of a country that is now hanging by a thread. We had the core CPI number come out this morning. That is the Consumer Price Index. That's core CPI. It's a core measure of inflation. It came in hotter than expected. Since Joe Biden took office fraudulently, overall prices are up nearly 18%. Food is up almost 21%. Energy services like electric and gas utilities are up nearly 29% and rent is up almost 20%. So this was, I mean, this inflation report, really bad. And when you match it with real earnings, so the wages that you're earning, real earnings also declined last month. So your prices are going up, your wages are declining, and you are getting squeezed. The people who can least withstand inflation like this the middle class, the working class, and the poor. You know, all of the people that the Democrats profess to embrace and champion, they're full of it. We are the ones being squeezed the most. We're getting the shaft big time. In fact, you know, Bill Maher has a podcast in addition to his HBO show, and he had Jillian Michaels on, the fitness expert, and he was kind of downplaying inflation. This was just the other day, and she was like, dude, Try buying some effing eggs. 
And I'm going to use that now as the mantra for out-of-control inflation. Dude, go try buying some effing eggs. 30 bucks for a dozen eggs? Are you kidding? Let's say you have two kids or three or four or more. Let's say you have one kid and you're trying to feed them. You got a hungry teenage boy in your household? You know what I'm talking about. You are spending hundreds of dollars a week just to keep your kids alive in the Biden economy. All right? So all of these people, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Janet Yellen, they all told us, the head of the Fed, Jerome Powell, they all told us, hey man, inflation is temporary. Inflation literally took off in March of 2021 when Joe Biden signed the Orwellian-named Inflation Reduction Act. It had nothing to do, obviously, with reducing inflation. In fact, the exact opposite. They always tell you what they're going to do because they tell you it's the exact opposite or they accuse our side of doing what they themselves are guilty of. So they slap an Orwellian title on all of their legislation and hope that you fall for it. No, that was an energy revolution bill to get rid of fossil fuels, embrace the green agenda, remake the U.S. economy as a communist model. That's what that was. But literally from the moment he signed that bill, inflation, boom, took off like a rocket. And it has not subsided. So all of these people, these so-called experts, and Janet Yellen, not only is she the Treasury Secretary, but she used to be the head of the Fed. These people know what they're talking about. I remember being out there on Larry Kudlow and, and Fox Business out there screaming in the spring of 2021. And I, do I have an economics degree? No, but I spent enough time at Treasury and I have common sense and I have at least enough background in economics to know what the hell was going to go on if you pump trillions of dollars down into the system like they did. You go out on the street and you ask somebody, hey, if we're going to pump trillions of dollars into the economy, what's going to happen? Oh, you're going to get inflation. Your dog can tell you this. And they were all out there talking to you about rampant inflation is just going to be temporary. It's just a result of, of the pandemic spending. No, you know what? We had to spend a lot in the Trump administration because of the pandemic, because the, the economy was shut down, and we had to get the American people through the most acute period of the crisis. So yes, we spent a lot during those couple of months to get people through. I guess it was eight months or so through the end of the Trump administration, just to make sure small businesses survived, you survived, the airline industry survived, okay? So we did that, but we had an actual emergency. The Biden team kept up emergency-level spending absent the actual emergency. You see what they did? So they pumped so much money. And so at the end of the Trump administration, when we began, actually sort of the middle of 2020, we began to open up again. There were still some mandates in blue states in place, mask mandates and, and so on. But for a good part of the country, it started to open up again. And we started getting people back to work by the millions per month. And we started to get real economic growth going again, because remember, it ground to an absolute halt during the lockdown. And then when we started opening up, we had, guys, we had like 6% economic growth 
We were coming roaring back. The demand was there. Everything was great. And so when Trump handed off the U.S. economy to Joe Biden, he handed him like, I think it was 5 or 6% economic growth, and inflation was at 1.4%. Now it's well into the threes, almost four, and it's been higher over the course of the Biden presidency, and it's all because of them. It's all because of Biden and the left, Democrats in Congress, and the Fed, too, continuing to pump trillions of dollars into the system, devaluing the currency and driving up prices for you and me, the $30 eggs. Okay? Try buying some effing eggs, Joe Biden. They're all out there telling you, oh, inflation, not a problem anymore. Bill Maher, oh, don't worry about it. Yes, for you and me out there trying to live life and like stay alive. We're not talking about, you know, going to the four seasons for dinner. We're not talking about, you know, taking a luxury vacation. We're talking about trying to stay upright, putting food in your body, feeding your kids, putting a roof over your head. Rent is up almost 20%. Energy services, gas utility, just heat. The Northeast today has a big snowstorm going on, right? You want to stay warm and not freeze to death? Again, just to stay alive is costing you almost 20% more since Joe Biden came into office. That sets up some of these polls that we're seeing now. Biden, he's just drowning. He's drowning. When you take a look at the breakdown of these numbers, he's at like 36, 38% job approval. NBC News poll, recent poll, they asked voters to compare the Biden and Trump administrations and how they met voters' expectations. Listen to this. Biden better than expected? Is Biden better than you expected he would be? Only 14% said yes. Is Biden worse than you expected? 42% said yeah. Was Trump better than you expected? 40% said yes. Worse than expected, only 29%. Now, among independents, this is the crucial swing voter. They asked independents, was Biden better than you expected? 6%. (laughs) Who are these 6% of independents? 6% said better. Worse than expected, 52% of independents Biden is worse than I thought he was going to be. Uh, also, independence. Was Trump better than you expected? 38% said, yeah, better than I expected. Worse than you expected? 18%. Another poll by politics, uh, politics polls. Listen to this. Which one of the following people do you respect most as a leader? Donald Trump, 42%. Joe Biden, half that, 21%. Barack Obama way down, 17%. Bernie Sanders, 5%. Nikki Haley, 5%. Mitt Romney, oh, Lord Jesus, 3%. Hillary Clinton, God save us, 2%. All right. So you can see what's going on here. Oh, one more poll. No, two more polls. (laughs) Ipsos, ABC News. Listen to this. They asked voters who would do a better job handling a bunch of issues. Okay. Now keep in mind that the number one issue in the country is illegal immigration and the border. Trump has an 18 point lead over Joe Biden on that issue. 18 points should be more, but it's 18 points. The economy and jobs are the number two issue 
for voters. Trump leads Biden there by a whopping 12%. Inflation, and it's related to the economy and jobs, but inflation is right up there. Um, Trump leads by 10%. 10%. So on the top three core issues, illegal immigration, the border, the economy, jobs, and inflation, Trump is leading by 10 points or more. Trump also leads on crime and law and order issues by 13%, and he leads on issues of war and peace by anywhere from 3 to 8%. Russia, Ukraine, Trump leads by 3 Israel, Hamas, war, Trump leads by 8 The only issues that Biden leads on are abortion, health care, classified documents, which is hilarious since Biden had them in, in the garage. We're going to get to that in a second. And climate change. He leads Trump by 17 points on climate change. Another poll related to this, I think it's also Ipsos ABC, 86% of respondents, 86% say but Joe Biden is too old to be president. Again, it is not uh, the age, okay? It is the dementia. That's what's bothering people. And I always say it's not the dementia, it's the corruption, We have the impeachment process well underway in Congress, um, including, by the way, Tony Bobulinski, who is one of the big star witnesses here. He is doing his transcribed interview behind closed doors today. Uh, Rob Walker, another Hunter Biden business associate, uh, did his interview, I guess, a week or so ago, and House Oversight released his uh, transcribed interview. And man, what came out of that? He says Joe Biden was meeting with all of these foreign nationals that Hunter was doing business with. Again, guys, there were no crazy, shady international business transactions without Joe Biden in high office. As vice president of the United States, which is what he leveraged, Joe and Hunter Biden have nothing to sell apart from access to the United States government and perhaps um, influence over American policy. That's what they were selling in their influence peddling operation. And now all of this is coming to a head. Now, whether or not the Republicans actually have the cojones to push forward with an impeachment That is a different issue. I do not know, because right now, Republicans have three big reasons to impeach Biden. Number one, all of this corruption, all of this selling of his office, selling of his family, selling access to him, changing American foreign policy, all the stuff that we're learning, the deep, deep corruption, as well as this classified documents case, which I want to get to here in a second. So you have his corruption, You have his blatant dementia, his clear mental unfitness for office. They should be removing him by the... Let me do that again. His clear mental unfitness for office. I mean, that's obvious to everybody. And the the third one is the border. That is an absolute dereliction of duty as commander-in-chief and chief executive of this country with control over the border and over uh, immigration policy. He keeps going out there lying about, well, I need Congress to act, and if they won't act, I can't do anything. That is bull, and everybody knows it. Donald Trump, through executive action, secured the border and essentially solved illegal immigration. Barack Obama, Biden's boss, 
when he was VP, talked about having a phone and a pen. Well, so does Biden. He could easily fix this today, right now, in the moment, and he won't because uh, obviously all of this is intentional. And there is criminal collusion here, I think, between Biden and his administration and Mexico and the cartels that control that border to create this crisis. Criminal collusion. Republicans in Congress could pick any one of these, and I guess they've chosen the road of uh, Biden's corruption. That was sort of the first and most obvious one to go down and impeach him. But you know what, guys? I don't have a lot of confidence here. I don't have a lot of confidence in the Republicans in Congress to actually move ahead with this. I'm sorry, I just don't. There are stories coming out saying some Republicans are losing their nerve to actually impeach the guy. Are you kidding me? We know he's not going to be removed by a Democrat-controlled Senate. That's not the point. The point is the left looks at the, the process as the punishment. With Trump and the J6 defendants and you and me, the process is the punishment. Our side doesn't view it that way. Well, if we can't remove him, we're not going to do it at all. What? No, the process is the punishment. So we've got the impeachment process on the corruption. It is pretty well uh, going down the track. But, you know, let's see if they actually call a vote on this. It does look like they are going to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas over the border today. They couldn't get it accomplished last week because Steve Scalise was getting his cancer treatment and was not present. He is back now. We are all praying for him and his recovery, because we need him, um, for sure. He's, he's a good guy. Uh, but he is now back, so today they're going to impeach Mayorkas. Again, it, it's not about, well, he's not going to be removed by the Senate, so let's not do it. No, you do it. You do it for the process, and you do it for the history books. Mayorkas will be only the second cabinet member in the history of the country to get impeached. So, yes, you do it. Because, guys, I guarantee you, Donald Trump wins day one, they're going to try to impeach him over any of these fake indictments. And if, if we don't have control over the Senate and the House, it's possible they could remove him. They play to win. They exercise absolute power. Our side, generally speaking, no. Do not. So, First of all, we need to make sure that all of our elected representatives on the Republican side have the stomach to go forward. We we need to and we need to contact them and make sure that they are determined to go ahead with this impeachment because that's what we demand. And then, you know, lighting them up over this Ukraine bill. They tried to dress it up by calling it a border security bill. You can put lipstick on the pig, it's still a pig. We saw right through it, and it's this audience, it's Steve Bannon's audience. It is the America First crowd that put pressure on the Republicans not to do this. Don't do it. This is a monstrosity of a bill. Well, late last night, the uh, Republicans in the Senate, 22 of them, joined with Democrats to pass a Ukraine bill. It's actually a foreign aid bill, 95 to $96 billion that we don't have and can't afford to be sent abroad. So nearly $100 billion 
Again, when I just gave you the inflation numbers, because spending is so rampant and out of control, and we're so deeply in debt, Republicans like Mitt Romney, who took to the floor of the Senate and said in his pious, insufferable way that this vote for Ukraine was, quote, the most important vote we as senators will ever take. Not on the border to protect you, not on law and order to protect you, not on the economy or tax cuts to give you a better life. No, none of that. Ukraine, the most important vote we will ever take as senators. I want my 2012 vote back. Don't you, Mitt Romney? Get out. Just get out of my face. All of these people need to be primaried into oblivion. I'm sorry. They are all pathetic. The old guard needs to go. Biden, McConnell, Romney, Ronna McDaniel, the lot of them. If you can't fight this war the way it needs to be fought, get out. Fortunately, Speaker Mike Johnson in the House has said this is essentially DOA in the House. So um, I don't even know if he's going to bring it to a vote when it gets to the House. I guess today the bill is coming over. I don't know that he's going to bring it to a vote. I don't even think that's going to happen. And thank goodness for that. But today we got a special election in New York, and we could easily lose the House before November all right, the House is hanging by a thread, and we could lose control. And now you're going to have Speaker Hakeem Jeffries. Why? Because the uni party on our side, on the Republican side, is so stupid and blind and compromised that they're constantly giving up the advantage and not exercising power. It's disgusting. Disgusting. Okay, let's hit a quick break. Um, maybe I'll hold the Russia stuff for Thursday because this stuff is really, it's going to blow you away. Um, but I want to hit a quick break. And when we come back, I want to deal with a special counsel's report on Biden. I want to take that apart for you as well. So stand by. We're coming right back. Okay, guys, listen up. A lot going on, all stirring the uncertainty pot. Elections in Taiwan, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, our own election coming up. There's a lot of global instability swirling around. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold, and Birch Gold Group can help you do that. As opposed to many other investments, gold thrives in times of uncertainty, and it's an important part of diversifying your savings. Here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of your portfolio. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. Just text Monica to 989-898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, Birch Gold Group is your trusted go-to for diversifying with gold. Arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Just text Monica to 989 989- 898 and claim your free info kit and protect your savings with gold today. 
All right, guys, welcome back. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be joined by Chris Liddell to talk about how President Trump and, frankly, any president should be using the year before they're sworn in to get up to speed and be able to hit the ground running. A lot of presidents miss out on those first 100 days, which are critical, um, simply because they're now prepared. So Chris Liddell, who served in the Trump White House, he came from Microsoft, a top, top flight business legend, served in the Trump White House, knows of which he speaks. He's going to join us here momentarily. But first, this special counsel report that came out a couple of days ago about Biden being senile. It's this guy, Robert Hur, And keep in mind that the special counsel is a tool of the Justice Department and of the Attorney General, Merrick Garland. So this guy, even though he's supposed to be independent, you know, special counsels are still at the mercy of the president, who's the chief law enforcement officer, uh, as well as the attorney general um, who makes the appointment, etc. So really, I mean, they're all political. So this guy, Robert Hur, has been focused on the classified documents situation for Joe Biden where he had wide open boxes in his garage, open air, the garage not even connected to the house. Hunter Biden's uh, coming in and out with God knows who, hookers, drug dealers, we don't know. Um, And the Biden Corvette is sitting right there, which they were taking in and out of the house. So the garage door is going up and down, at least at Mar-a-Lago. The president had them in a secure facility, Mar-a-Lago, crawling with Secret Service. And on top of it, Donald Trump, as the president, had the right to those documents, to declassify those documents, and to have those documents. On top of it, he was working with NARA, the National Archives, um, over the documents about what to return and going through everything, doing it in a very systematic kind of way. Joe Biden, none of that. They're like, well, Joe Biden, when it was discovered, Joe Biden was like, oh, please come in and take a look. Joe Biden was vice president. He had no ability to have these documents, declassify anything. And he made the personal request when they were packing him up at the end of his vice presidency that he would pack up these boxes personally. He did not want the staff doing it. It's all in writing in these documents. He requested to pack up the documents and other stuff himself, himself. So look, we we all know what's going on here with this two-tier justice system and how dangerous it is. But the special counsel, Robert Hur, said that Biden, quote, willfully mishandled classified material. But then he went on to say, but, you know, he's a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. So I'm not going to bring charges because no jury will uh, will deal with this or convict him. Well, there's a lot to unpack here, guys, okay? So first of all, the, the special counsel, again, an agent of Biden's DOJ and the attorney general, is saying because Joe Biden is senile, he can't really be prosecuted because no jury will find him reliable or could rely on any of his testimony or any of the evidence. First of all, it's not the special counsel's job to make that judgment. Okay? You bring charge you bring charges or you don't based on the facts and the evidence, not on the mental state of the potential defendant. 
You also don't assume anything about what a jury may or may not do or what a judge may or may not do. You can't make those assumptions. So if this guy, Hearst, says he can't bring charges because, well, a jury won't believe him or he's too senile to stand trial, then you're not a very good prosecutor. You're not doing your job. Or at least you're not doing it the right way according to the law. Second point, you cannot have it both ways. He's too senile to be prosecuted, but he's not too senile to run the country. Absurd. And everyone knows it. And this is the bigger point. And this dovetails with what we were talking about at the top of the show with the inflation numbers, his polling numbers, the study about how Trump absolutely uh, would have won absent mail-in voting. They got him across the finish line and installed him in 2020 because of the pandemic, because of the mass mail-in balloting and the free-for-all that they created by changing state laws in unconstitutional ways, etc. They are not able to do that now, although, let me take a step back. I don't want to scare you here, but we all need to be prepared. It is February of an election year. The last election year, all of the crap came down in March It was March of 2020. I believe it was March 9th of 2020 where we shut down the country. March 9th or March 11th, something like that, where we did the lockdowns and the, the country, the economy was shut down, everything. So there is still time for the deep state to pull something major and working hand in glove like they did last time with the globalists. World Economic Forum, the Chinese Communist Party, all working together to stop Donald Trump and America first and get their globalist agenda uh, back on track. So, you know, a lot of people are kind of taking it for granted, like, oh, no, no virus this year. Don't be so sure. Yes, last go around, the virus was already circulating in China and beginning to move around the world by this time in the last cycle. But if they have something more deadly, if they have something else planned, mass terror attacks doesn't have to be a virus, it's only February. So I just want you to be prepared for the absolute worst because their lawfare stuff is falling apart. So now, you know, you got to be really focused here on what else they might do because they're not just going to allow this to unfold and allow Donald Trump to walk back in and allow us to take control once again of our country and our destiny, they're not just going to allow that to happen. They made too much progress under Obama and now too much progress under this puppet to just give it up and throw up their hands and go, oh, well, I guess we're going to lose. Not happening. So getting back to Robert Hurst's report, again, everything is all of a piece. Everybody knows that Joe Biden is not running the country, that it's the Obamas, Barack and Michelle, and their machine. The deep state is now moving against Joe Biden, which is why you got this report of his dementia from Robert Hur. You would never know the details about Biden's dementia unless the deep state wanted you to know. Think, guys, think. They have covered for him in everything else. Why wouldn't they continue to cover for him on this? 
They would if they thought they could get away with it. If they thought they could pull another 2020, they would. But because they can't keep him in the basement this time, at least I'm making that call now (laughs) in February, but again, it was March before they really sprung the pain on us. Um, It does look like the deep state is now allowing this stuff to come forward. And of course, Biden and Dr. Jill are furious. They're absolutely furious that this came out. And now they're trying to prop up Biden by having him do these videos. Like he's on TikTok now, trying to be hip and cool. TikTok is a surveillance and influence tool by the Chinese Communist Party. TikTok is not allowed on government devices because it is that much of a surveillance and influence tool by our most existential enemy, China. But there's Joe Biden like, hey, we're on TikTok now. And he's wearing a sweater and he's talking about the Super Bowl and chocolate chip cookies. I mean, and then they put out another video of him also in a sweater having some sort of a a dinner with a black family with children. And he's trying to make conversation while he's eating his French fries. It is painful. It's painful. So Biden and some of the people around him are desperately trying to keep his head above water. Because they now know that the deep state is coming at him. I cannot believe that this entire time, I mean, Biden is genuinely stupid, but I can't imagine this entire time he thought he was in there for real and not as a puppet. How dumb is he? Apparently that dumb, because now he and Jill are holding on to dear life putting out these videos, trying to make him look hip and cool, having him do that, that senile man jog to Marine One, all of that stuff. They are desperately trying to hold on because now the deep state's coming for him. The deep state comes for everybody. Once you have outlived your usefulness, you're gone. And Biden is now finding that out. The only reason you know anything about his senility per this special counsel report. In a way, it's like a gratuitous hit, right? If you're focused only on the legal issues of classified documents and you want to give him a pass, you do it. You do it. You do it like a straight legal thing, even though the legal thing makes no sense because he's guilty as hell. But you make the straight kind of legal argument you want out there. No need to wade into he is senile. So guys, the only reason you get this which is clear to everybody, but the only reason you get it in the special counsel's report is because they want him gone. Only Joe Biden is the only one who did not get the deep state memo that he is over. Raises more questions than answers, right? We're going to be all over this in the days and weeks ahead. Okay, so sit tight for that. In the meantime, let's hit another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about presidential transitions, what is being done now for President Trump, and how presidents can hit the ground running on day one so you don't lose time. This is something Trump needs to know. We are all over it. Coming up next. We're in our New Year's resolutions era, am I right? Well, resolving to eat healthier this year was easy. Actually doing it, not so much. Better nutrition is a key to health and longevity. And a healthy diet could even help you avoid health risks that run in your family. Field of Greens is my healthy superfruit and vegetable habit. 
It's the only fruit and vegetable product that literally promises better health. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Do your vitamins or green drinks promise better health? Nope. They don't. Each superfruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for a specific health benefit. Some support your heart, lungs, and kidneys. Others support metabolism for healthy energy and weight loss. So if you resolve to get healthier in 2024, it starts with Field of Greens. And guess what? I got you 15% off your first order and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. All right, guys, welcome back. Well, we are now in year zero, which could possibly be the most interesting and fascinating year zero ever. What is year zero? Well, Chris Liddell is here to tell us. Chris is an absolute business legend. He served for decades in the private sector as chief financial officer at Microsoft and also at General Motors, among other positions, before becoming a deputy chief of staff in the Trump White House. I was so delighted to get to know him over the years uh, in the Trump White House, and he is just an extraordinary thinker and an extraordinary doer. Not all thinkers are doers, but Chris is certainly one. He is now the author of a very important new book called Year Zero, The Five-Year Presidency. It is out now, available wherever you get your books, so please go pick it up and check it out. Chris joins us now. Hi, my friend. Hey, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. And can I just say, uh, uh, the jobs that we have in the White House are challenging, but one of the great benefits that you get from it is the people you serve with. And I just serve with some magnificent people, and that includes you. So thank you so much for having me on. Well, that is very kind of you to say, and I I feel the exact same way about you. In fact, your legend preceded you. Uh, In terms of our introduction, I knew who you were. I knew about your time at Microsoft. I did not know about your time at General Motors, but that makes you even more impressive. But I knew about sort of the, the, the business legend that you were, and I was dying to meet you when I came into the administration, and I was so delighted to finally meet you. And I am so honored to call you now a friend, and I'm thrilled that you're here today to talk about your new book. Again, it's called Year Zero, The Five-Year Presidency. All right, so tell us first, what is Year Zero, and what makes it such a a critical issue that you decided to write a book about it? Great, yeah, thanks for that introduction. So let me work towards Year Zero as the answer to your question, but there's a broader question that I'm trying to answer, which is how do we strengthen democracy in our country? And we have a crisis of trust in our major institutions. I'm sure you've seen the the surveys, but a couple that caught my eye is something like three quarters of the country believe that that the country is headed in the wrong direction. And only 20 something percent of people in the country believe that the government is going to solve their problems. So part of the reasons why they're concerned about the country's direction is mistrust in institutions and mistrust in the government. And in particular, my focus is around the White House, which I describe as the the head and the heart of the government. So 
unless we can make the White House more effective, then the rest of the government is, is, is unlikely to be. So my, my book is all around how do you really build and run an incredibly effective White House? And I can come into some of the themes, but the year zero aspect of it is in order to have a really effective White House, you've got to get off to a fast start. The first year, year one, is absolutely critical. If you can get off to a fast start, you've got a chance of having a legacy administration. If you don't, you can have a lame duck administration. And in order to have a fast start, a good year, year one, you need to have what I have coined year zero, which, as I guess the term implies, all of the things that you need to do in the year before you govern to have a really effective White House. And so year zero started a week ago on 20, January 20th. Uh, this year, it'll finish January 20th of next year when there'll be an inauguration of the president. And it, 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 the book just sets out the enormous number of things that you need to do, often behind the scenes, to build the teams, to build the policy, to build all the decision-making apparatus that's in a White House. So it's a philosophy of running a White House in, in, uh, in, in generality. And then the specifics are around all the things that a presidential candidate can think about to do that. You know, it's so interesting, Chris, and I, I've shared this story before that when I came into the Trump administration at the Treasury Department, about a week into it, the president called me um, <laughs> because we had been friends prior. And he was like, Monica, I'm so happy that you're finally with us. And it was such a great conversation. And at one point, he expressed to me that, you know, and, and we were dealing with President Trump with a businessman who had never done any of this before. It's not like Joe Biden, who had been vice president, or Richard Nixon, who had been vice president, who sort of knew how the government worked and the vastness and the complexity of it. Donald Trump had never done any of this before. So he expressed to me essentially how shocked he was by how many appointments he had to make, how many agencies he was overseeing. It was it was overwhelming simply because he had never done it before. But I also think it's very overwhelming for people who have done it before. I remember President Nixon once said to me, you know, Monica, I served in Congress and in the Senate and, and I was vice president for eight years, but nothing prepares you for the presidency, nothing. So especially if you're walking in like Donald Trump, who hadn't done it before, yeah, the overwhelming nature of all of this um, sort of takes over. And then the bureaucracy and uh, the, the entrenched interests then sort of take over the process and it takes on a life of its own. Is that right? You're 100% correct. And, and I had the honor of serving from the first minute of the Trump administration to the very last. I think I was one of the last people to leave at 11.59 on January 20th, 2021. And I'll be honest and say, I was on a learning curve. I came from the business world, as you mentioned in the introduction, and I knew something about government because I, I'd worked on transition planning before. But there was nothing like the reality of, of getting in and, and being overwhelmed by the scale of the issues you're dealing with, the complexity of them, the number of people you had to appoint that you mentioned, that the president, just to give your listeners a sense, appoints something like 8,000 people, 4,000 of which are full-time roles, 1,000 of those are Senate-confirmed. So you need this mass of people to bring in on day one. And the, the one of my vivid memories was walking around the, the White House on January 20th uh, and your listeners would, would have to appreciate it. it's it's like an empty office building 
there were no hardly any people there. The president actually left. Uh, a lot of the staff had left. There were no computers. There's no papers. There's a few desks, um, but it's an empty shell. And people don't appreciate probably that you have a hundred percent turnover in what's probably the most important institution in the world, the White House. So at eleven fifty nine. AM on January 20th, one team's in charge, and 12.01, there's a whole new team in charge. And literally, I went to the Oval Office, and they were rolling up the carpets and taking down the, the paintings and, and putting in new carpets and new furniture. It's literally 100% turnover. So if you just imagine the scale of what you have to deal with, literally at 12.01, you're running the world uh, and everything associated with it. You have to have a team in place coming in, new, working together. You got to have all of those people appointed. You got to build the, the the culture around them. It's just this massive exercise. So, I learned a lot in the four years that I served, and part of the reason why I wrote the book is I just think we need to document it better so that future White Houses don't have to go up quite such a steep learning curve. But I'm also what hoping with the book that sorry, I'm going to say I'm hoping with the book for it's not just a it's not just a sort of a how to for incoming presidents. I think hopefully people will find it really interesting just to get some insight into how White Houses have worked or could work. And I go through the last hundred years or so of, of them, a bit of a historical retrospective of of Reagan and FDR and some of the, the notable presidents that we've had in the modern era, how they've dealt with it, uh, how they've come in. And so I think people, general readers will find it interesting too, just how are the components of the White House? How do they fit together? These names that they might have heard of, like the National Economic Council, National Security Council. What do they do? How do they fit together? And uh, and so it's it's a it's a general sort of interest book on the inside workings of the White House as well. Oh yeah, no, I mean it's really a page turner. I mean you do deal with some of the technicalities of making these kinds of transitions, um, but it really is an entertaining read as well. And your very unique voice, Chris, is so important because it is debatable whether or not a president from the business world, although I think Donald Trump proved that a businessman can in fact run the country, but it's it's been a point of longstanding debate whether or not you can you can transfer success in the business world to running the federal government because the incentives are totally different. In the business world, you've got the profit motive, right? You've got to report to shareholders. You've got to deliver a, a good, uh, good or service that is in demand, and you have to keep running the business as a tight ship, whereas the federal government, there is no profit motive. The only motive is power and access to it. And of course, they're spending other people's money, namely ours. Um, so, you know, that is a point of longstanding debate. But what I think is critical and what you bring in this book, Chris, is the business approach to the transition and to uh, getting a new administration and a new presidency on its feet up and running in the most efficient way possible. Government is not known for its efficiency, correct? Correct. Yeah. And and so, again, you're, you're very right in your observation that business is different from, from the government. The government deals with complex issues. They're not often binary, sort of yes or no's. There's, there's a lot of murkiness in the middle. There's lots of shared power centers and lots of people who, who have influence and input into decisions. And it, it's nowhere near as as clear as it is in the business world. Not the business world is totally clear, but it's it's more so. And so 
coming in and thinking that you just take your business skills and apply them to, in this case, the White House is not the way to go. It, they're just so different. And I try to point that out in the book. But there are some fundamentals of, of how you run organizations, which are common to both, and some good principles around how you choose the right people, how you uh, put them together in teams, how you motivate them, how you make decisions. So there's some underlying good foundational principles. And what I've tried to do is step back from my business career and said, what are those principles that apply in the business world? And what apply more generally to organizations and how can they apply in the White House? What do you say to people who say, well, look, you know, this this is sort of an outlier of a year because President Trump is essentially running as an incumbent, having been president before, and the GOP primary field was never a really serious uh, challenge to him. And Joe Biden, assuming he is the candidate, he is obviously the sitting president and the incumbent. And it, it, except for those kinds of cases when you have a wide open primary field with a bunch of different candidates, is it not presumptuous of those candidates a year out to start thinking about this and creating teams and creating dossiers and books of who they would, uh, you know, the personnel choices and the policy choices in the first hundred days, first year? Is it not presumptuous to assume that you may in fact be the nominee and the president? Part of my argument is that we need to turn that thought on its head. Traditionally, that's been the way that people have characterized it, that you don't want to be seen to be presumptuous. I say the opposite. I say that in order to show that you're ready to govern, you should do the ex op absolute opposite. You should show that all your preparations, you know, what organization in the world would you not prepare to be ready for, especially given the challenges that we're facing in the world and the challenges associated with running the White House. So I say, I, I think, a candidate, let's just say a President Trump, should get on the front foot, not be on the back foot about hiding preparations, get on the front foot and say, of course I'm preparing. And in, and let's just take this year, I think to what you said in your introduction, this is the most interesting year zero, perhaps of all time, just because of the variables in it. But let's just take a President Trump, perhaps second term, and then maybe a President Biden second term. President Trump has the huge and unique benefit of having been there for four years. So he has a sort of an unusual hybrid, but he's coming in, but he only has one term. He only has four years, not possibly eight to do things. So he even more needs to hit the ground running because he has such a short period of time, four years flashes past. His year one of a second term is absolutely critical to him really making a difference. So he has the benefit of of all that experience that he got from the first term and perhaps some people who worked with him who would be coming back in, but he has a disadvantage of only one, you know, maximum one term in order to get things done. So he, he has a, a year zero challenge of a slightly unique time, some pluses and minuses. President Biden, on the other hand, let's just say he went to a second term. The thought again, and historically is that, oh, well, second terms are just a continuation of the first. No, they aren't. Again, you're you're a lame duck from day one with a four-year period to work on. If you don't rejuvenate your administration and change people up and change policies and give it a whole new lease of life, then there's a danger that a second term, as has often been the case, is really a disappointment. It's just an afterthought to the first term. 
You know, what was so surprising to me, even though I was vaguely aware of it intellectually, but it, I had never served in the federal government like President Trump, like you. We, we were all coming in fresh newbies. And what struck me is the very strict protocols for getting things done. Uh, they call it the interagency, but there are also legal aspects. It's got to go through every agency's general counsel. There are so many strict ways to get things done that don't necessarily apply in the business world. I think people who are coming into the federal government, especially at a very high level like we all were, it, it is, it's shocking and it's so slow. It's so slow. Are there ways to get around that or ways to make it more efficient and move things faster? Absolutely. I, I try to make the case that in my business experience, if you run the organization well, it can be plus or minus 10%. Let's just say you can be 10% better. In the White House, you can be 100% better. You can either be bureaucratic and have things slow down and nothing happens, or chaotic where nothing happens for a different reason, which is there's so many people trying to do the same thing at the same time that they all get in each other's way and nothing happens. So think about those extremes. So you're trying to find a happy middle ground where there's enough clarity. And I try to make the distinction between bureaucracy and clarity. You don't want bureaucracy. You want clarity. You want people to understand what their roles are in helping the president make decisions and implementing them. You want clarity around the structure of how those decisions are made, the options, but you don't want bureaucracy. So you need to move away from chaos, obviously, and away from bureaucracy and try and find that middle ground of making the organization work in an effective fashion. And the difference in the White House context between doing that well and doing it badly is literally 100%. The... the I think every White House, because of human nature, Chris, has internal conflict. You've got all kinds of infighting because you've got this uh, incredible clash of big egos who are in big positions running the country. And so, you know, so, some White Houses keep a tighter rein on this than others. And, you know, there are some presidents who don't want to control the infighting, right? They like yeah. the clash of egos. They like the competition for the president's attention, for their policy priorities. How best to navigate that? Really great question. So, the first distinction I'd make is between idea conflict and personality conflict. So a lot of presidents, and President Trump was certainly in this case, loved idea conflict. Some of the best meetings that we had, and to take a step back, I was, I was in charge of organizing some uh, meetings around policy decisions. Some of the best meetings we had were where we had ideologically different people around the Resolute Desk in front of President Trump debating issues vigorously. So if you think of the trade group, you, you know a lot of the people here, uh, Ambassador Lighthizer, Secretary Mnuchin, Secretary Ross, Peter Navarro, uh, NEC Director Larry Kudlow. They all were coming at a trade issue from a fundamentally different idea perspective and debating it in front of the president. He, he was an intuitive decision maker and he loved that debate playing out in front of him. That's how he he made the best quality decisions. So idea debate you want, you want that uh, in particular for some presidents like President Trump who, who play off that. What you don't want is personality conflict. That's a different thing. And, and the distinction hopefully is clear, which is people are 
uh, undermining each other, or there's bad actors, they're leaking, they're trying to, they're attacking someone on the basis of personality characteristics, not not the quality of their ideas. And and every organization has that. And we had a bit of mm-hmm. it in the White House and occasionally I had to navigate that. Uh, what you want is a strong enough core group around the president to minimize that and to try and eliminate bad actors. And I talk about how White Houses have worked and how they should work. My view is you've got to get rid of bad actors out of the system. People who undermine it are undermining the president's agenda and really shouldn't be there. So yes, idea conflict, they can be as vigorous as they like in representing their ideas, even if the president doesn't decide to go with them. But anyone who undermines the culture and personality shouldn't be there. Yes, and that requires a strong chief of staff as well as a strong president. You know, it's interesting, Chris, that we've been hearing over the last, well, maybe year or so, that there are a couple of different projects along these lines. Heritage Foundation has one called Project 2025. Um, yep. And then I think there's a separate track as well, another group working on on this kind of thing as well. And they're going to merge and President Trump will have the benefit of all of this work. So it is being done, right? That's right. This is, again, a very unique and interesting year zero, uh, as, as I coined the term, because of those two entities that you mentioned, America First Policy Institute, which has a lot of people who worked in the Trump administration. I, yes. I certainly know a lot of them. And, and then the Heritage Foundation, which obviously has a, a strong history of, of preparing or helping presidents prepare. They've both done an enormous amount of work. And as you say, uh, assuming President Trump is the nominee and he sets up a transition organization, which would probably happen in the next two or three months, uh, assuming he goes ahead, they will have the benefit of all of the work that those two institutes have done. And and that's a unique advantage. And how, you know, which bits they pick from which, you know, that's up to the formal transition, obviously. That's, that's something President Trump will do. But People ask me what the what my thoughts are on a second Trump administration, obviously, because I worked in the first one. And one of the points that I really make is don't underestimate the Trump organization. It may have been uh, a little underprepared first term because of some of the factors we talked about. But this time, the campaign is a much more professional organization. Uh, and I would expect the transition planning to be that as well enhanced by these two external organizations that have done a lot of preliminary work. So I would be very surprised if they don't hit the ground running very fast. Two final questions for you before we let you go, Chris. One, what is the one thing that you wish you had done differently when you came into the Trump uh, White House? And the second question is, what is the best piece of advice you have for President Trump uh, when he wins re-election? Well, they're, they're probably linked to the, the answer to those is linked. So I really wish we'd got off to a faster start uh, in, in the first time. I think we spent way too much time, unfortunately, on legislation, which didn't happen uh, in the first six months. And, and we we didn't take advantage of that very special window that you have in the first six months to pass signature legislation. Uh, and so that's probably my regret from the first term. So that leads to the second possible term, a possible second term, which is, I think President Trump should be thinking what I have my highest political capital, my best opportunity to pass significant legacy legislation in the first six months. What's that going to be and how do I prepare for it? 
so that I really, again, hit the ground running and I have a, the best possible chance to do something really significant for the country right off the bat. It's interesting because you talk about the first year or the first six months and, and discussion is always centered on the first hundred days. President Trump has spoken publicly, uh, Chris, about the first day. And he said, yeah. as soon as I'm sworn in and I go back to that White House, we're going to drill, baby, drill, and we're closing the border. Um, so we're talking, I, I think he's definitely in the mindset that you've laid out here, Chris, where he is thinking, uh, forget about the first six months, the first 24 hours, this is what we're doing. Um, so I think they're going to be far uh, better prepared than they were the first time, and understandably so in that first time. Again, none of us had done it before. Very few of us had. So there was a steep learning curve for everybody. But this time around, it will be different in terms of personnel, policy, and speed of policy. So we have that to look forward to. And with your excellent, very important new book, it is such a uh, such a critically important blueprint for not just President Trump and his team, but all future presidents, Chris. So excellent work. Thank you so much, Monica. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for this great book. Again, it's called Year Zero, The Five-Year Presidency. It is, like I said, so important, but it's such a good and easy read and in many ways a very fun read about how your government works. You got to educate yourself. So please go get it. It's available at Amazon, wherever you get your books. Year Zero, The Five-Year Presidency, Chris Liddell. Chris, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. On Thursday this week, we're going to cover so much, including President Trump trolling Fannie Willis in an Atlanta courtroom because she's been called up for a hearing for her own corruption, and Trump is going to go sit there and troll her stare her down. We're going to be all over that and so much more. We've got the South Carolina primary coming up in about a week and a half. So much to cover. And the great Ricky Schroeder is going to join us here on Thursday. So you won't want to miss it. Tell everybody you know about the Monica Crowley podcast. Okay. Appreciate you guys. Have a great start to your week. I'll see you on Thursday. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockel Entertainment, LLC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.